0: Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yerky, and I'm so excited to be here with Caitlin Bramble. Yay! <laughs> this is so exciting. Um, before we get started with the normal segments, if you want
1: to introduce yourself. Sure. You kind of say um, where you're born and where you're from and what you're doing now. Sure. So I am a Michigander. Um, for those of you that are frequent listeners of the podcast, you know that Maddie is a, is a native... To I the Mitten State, Michiganian,
0: um, Michigander. I think Michigander. I think the Michi- more yeah, that's
1: usually what we say. Yeah. Um, so I've known Maddie for a good amount of time, like almost almost like ten years. It's crazy
0: to think about.
1: Yeah, it's weird. Um, so I'm finishing up my undergraduate degree in music education right now at good old Oakland University. Nice shout in, out Grizzlies. Yeah, go Grizzlies. <laughs> um, back in the Mitten State, and I'm here. Visiting the Big Apple for the weekend, so yeah, and we're so
0: excited. And Caitlin yeah. is a fan of the pod, and yes, although we've how. known each other, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. But I feel like we reconnected, yeah, over yeah, for sure. you visiting and the podcast, which is really awesome. Yeah. And we don't have to say who it was or it'd be embarrassing, but you found. A former guest of the pod yes. on an online dating app which is very I millennial did.
1: yeah yes it is like the most literally this whole trip is like the most millennial moment of of it all i it know really is. you
0: went backstage on broadway
1: we went to the meatball shop i did yeah i ate recording meatballs. a pod yes yes i went to a queer art I museum yesterday like whoo
0: you're living... Oh. That's, like, my dream, like, when I was growing up in Michigan, I was, like, I just want to be one of those people that, like, goes to New York and is, like, oh, I have to do press and then I'm just gonna, like, yeah. go to lunch with my friends, you yeah, know? It's, right. like, so right. fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh,
1: that's, like, the crazy thing about, like, moving to Seattle over the summer is, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's gonna be interesting. Oh, my gosh. i be, like, yeah, I, like, compost everything now and... Oh, my gosh. Have you been to Seattle I have yet? not. I've been to the airport a couple of times, <laughs> um, but I'm going there in a few weeks Cool. Some grad school adventures. That's awesome. Cool.
0: Well, Shay, co-host, who we're missing, I should have led with that. Shay is not here. Um, I don't know if she's going to like me saying this, but we can always cut it, but she is doing something very special with her boyfriend, meeting part of his family. So... That she really we give her a pass. I <laughs> give her a pass. <laughs> I love it. Um all right. Well, we can dive into our millennial moments. Yes. Um I can start. This one I'm trying to think of what my I want my millennial moment to be this week. I don't know. I guess it's really like I've I talked a little bit about this on the pod like I've been looking for a new job, mm-hmm. and I had an interview at a place this week that was like very millennial. It was a food kit company, so I'm putting the good vibes out on the air, because they haven't gotten back to me about the in-person interview. I had a phone interview, and then I did like an Excel test online um, that was cool, but I haven't actually had an in-person interview yet, so I'm hoping like early next week they'll tell me yeah if I got it or not. Um so we'll see, but I'd basically be going from, like, a huge corporate bank to, like, a very, you know, millennial food mm-hmm. service company, so.
1: Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, that'll be cool, though, because, I, I mean, we were talking about it, and you were like, you know, I just want to, like, feel like I'm making more of an impact, and, yeah. and that's totally, like, a, a millennial thing to say, for sure. And that's, like, a great segue kind of into my millennial moment, yeah. which is, you know, I just found out that I'll be moving uh, to the West Coast in a few months, For graduate school, um, to study museum studies, which is yeah, it's it's been such a wild ride, you know. Like, how did you?
0: This is a two-part question, so you can answer whatever (laughs) part of it. Question follow question. How how did you first start looking into Seattle, and what kind of drew you to there? And B, how did you kind of go from? the music education to museum studies.
1: Yeah, so that's a cool question and um, was a question that I asked myself a lot while I was applying. <laughs> so I was like, what am I doing? This doesn't yeah. make any sense, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, so I've worked at a house museum in Michigan for the past like three years, uh-huh. and I found myself just really falling in love with the work, and <clears throat> and museums are so important in our society, you know? So I I started doing some research because I, I was starting to realize as I was nearing, now I'm student teaching, so I'm mm-hmm. like nearing the end of my degree, and I realized I, I did not want to spend 30 years in the public schools. As magical as that would be, yeah. Um, so that's it's not- a
0: rough life being a music yes. educator, especially. Yeah, it is. it's a big commitment.
1: Yes, it, it really is. Um, even K five, which is what I'm doing right now, it's a lot of a lot of time and a lot of. Um, it, it's one of those really emotionally taxing industries, too. Yeah, that
0: you get very caught up in the kids and then they leave. Yeah,
1: it's, it's always new people to get to know. Yes, definitely. And it's really hard to like with little people because they have so many feelings and they yeah. change so much from kindergarten to fifth grade. So you really do get to know them and watch them grow as tiny humans. Um, so so that's really, a really cool part of that work. But um and and you know too like with all the crazy things that are going on in our public schools these days you know oh, yeah I know in terms of um insanity truly yeah I mean just like policy and also the violence that we see yeah. is becoming the burden on common. teachers it's crazy yeah and and actually like in the past couple of weeks I was thinking about it I was like I don't <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I'm emotionally it ready. kind of
0: affirms yeah the decision that you've already made like yeah. one of the very first interviews we ever did was with one of Shay's friends, Elliot, and he's worked, he works at a fancy private school in Brazil. He works at a private mm-hmm. school in Staten Island now. He's worked at charter schools. Um, so he's kind of had different experiences. And just hearing oh, yeah. his stories of like, he taught in like a very, you know, underprivileged inner city kind of school mm-hmm. and hearing, you know, how involved he had to get in his students' lives just to get them yeah. to a place where they could learn. Yeah. Um, was really interesting, and I think it's something that people don't realize, even in you know, somewhere not as extreme in a a privileged suburb, it still exists. Yeah. There's still people that are struggling, so
1: yeah. I mean, I think about it like we're both kind of from similar socioeconomic areas yeah. in Michigan. You went to Andover, yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's about yeah. as
0: bougie. I was as it trying sounds. to think because I was like <laughs> forensics, yeah, because yeah. we also competed in forensics together, yeah, cause we're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, I still miss forensics. I like. Are you involved with
1: it at all? Still, no, or? I miss certain things about it. Like when I started at OU, it was funny because um, Evan and I we were shout like, out, like, yeah, Evan. shout shout. Out, oh, another guest for the guest, podcast, yeah. yes, friend um, of the pod. <laughs> so, um, so Evan and like oh, and like Jeff and Charlie yeah. were trying to get me to do it, and it just did not work out with yeah. my schedule. So, um, so I didn't end up doing that, but. I do miss it sometimes. I miss some things about it. I don't miss like waking up at five in the morning. Yeah. To go to there's parts of it that such. it's like,
0: how did I do this for years on end? Yeah. Every did, weekend.
1: Yeah, I really like. I have a hard time waking up at seven in the morning to go to school. Like, I don't. I don't know yeah. how I was doing that as like a sixteen year old that yeah. didn't know what I was doing with my life. Um, but yeah, so let's kind of wrap that up. Yeah. Um, schools are scary sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I realized that, you know, museums are places that are field trip destinations, but don't always get to kind of have that larger sphere of influence for kids. And, you know, the reason why, like a lot of these places are dying or like funding is being threatened yeah. is because that next generation of guests aren't being actively engaged in kind of the process. So, um, so I kind of really saw a need for that in the music realm, which is obviously, you know, my expertise where that lies so so I kind of realized that's that's what I needed to do and uh, the program at University of Washington is really awesome in that they recognize that too yeah and they really wanted people with different perspectives as opposed to people who are more into history or art history or anthropology so so that was kind of how I I found it kind of by accident but it was a really happy accident that's awesome so well we look forward to seeing how it goes that's yeah.
0: very exciting i personally have never been anywhere in the pacific northwest well come visit because <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna need friends <laughs> yeah. want to come that's awesome so transitioning to campfire topics so this one was submitted um by a listener actually they emailed us oh that's awesome yeah hello at campadulthood.com. if you too would like to email shout us shout out Shout out. And this one is really great because before this, the campfire topic that I was going to do, um, had we not gotten one from a listener, was also about the Winter Olympics, which Shay and I have talked a little bit about. Um, very topical.
1: Yes. And
0: it's coming to you. And like, I think today or tomorrow is the last day. So, you know, this yeah, will be the last time.
1: I want to. I want to say it's the twenty fifth, actually. Really? Maybe. maybe through this weekend yeah. then.
0: Yeah. So it's but coming
1: it's, to an end soon. Yeah. All the interesting events. Uh, yeah. Since ended.
0: But I feel like there's <laughs> so much happening on Twitter and social media about the millennial athletes specifically. Yeah. And about so, the listener, um, posted this thing, and it was about. She sent this article, and she posted. If this does not describe millennialism, I don't know what does. And it's basically about Red Gerard, who's 17 years old, and he won a gold medal in snowboarding. Last week, it was one of, like, the first events. And he, the article, this is from Thrillist, so we'll post this in the description of the podcast and on the website. Yeah. And he, he won a gold medal. He said, fuck on TV. And he woke up late on the day he won his gold medal. Shit, that's really millennial. <laughs> yeah. And he also, he's, like, the typical snowboarder, like, yeah. kind of, you know, surfer dude, like, vibe, and it says, in the summer. Red Gerard, literal Olympian, <laughs> like, who, I don't understand. The literal tr- Olympian as opposed yeah. to what? Yeah, figurative Olympian, I don't know. Yikes. Red Gerard, literal Olympian, great American, and newly anointed patron saint of teenagers won the United States its first gold medal at the 2018 Winter Games on Sunday and promptly said, holy fuck, in front of the entire world. So then it goes on to talk a little bit more about Red Gerard and who he is. And I wanted to couple this. There was an article in BuzzFeed, which we'll also link to, that was talking about apparently there was like this hashtag going around that was Millennial Olympics, like hashtag Millennial Olympics. And it was talking about like, oh, if there were a Millennial Olympics these are the events, and it was, like, sleeping in or, like, swearing on TV.
1: Spending or, too much money. Yeah. Like, all <laughs>
0: of, I mean, I don't even have to go into it because you know all the stereotypes yeah. and stuff. So it's, like, I thought it was interesting the intersection between the internet culture of this is what millennials are doing and yeah. this is what we're, quote unquote, known for versus, like, actual millennials. And I've also seen a lot of reporting about, and just, like, funny things on Twitter of a lot of the older um, announcers and TV people are interviewing the younger athletes. Who, Brad Gerard is actually not a millennial; he's Gen Z. Yeah, I was going to say he's in high school. Yeah, he's really so, young. So yeah,
1: I was thinking he'd be like on the very yeah. Of end it's of kind that of cuspy, or, but or Gen Z. Yeah, yeah,
0: I would probably consider him Gen Z, but um, you know, it's kind like Gen of Gen Z, are but ar- acting arbitrary. in a very
1: millennial context.
0: Yeah, and I think um, you know. It's interesting because Gen Z, I think, is kind of having a moment with the Parkland um, school shooting. Like, I've seen a lot of things on the internet that are like, you know, people are really excited that these young people are activists. And I've seen, like, specifically people saying, like, Gen Z is the future. So it's almost as if millennials, like, we're all adults. Like, you and I are the youngest millennials. So it's like we're kind of almost Mm -hmm. passe and we're already super adult at this point at yeah, the
1: ripe old age of 22 I know like 23
0: <laughs> I know but like the like I mean,
1: my body feels like it's about 85 I know. so
0: <laughs> it's crazy but what I was going to say was these announcers at the Olympics there a lot of the Olympians like there's so much waiting around in the Olympics even if you're competing yes. mm-hmm. where you know you do your one minute event and then you're sitting there for hours waiting for everyone else and so a lot of these kids are on their phone and they're not being disrespectful in my mind, because they're responding to tweets, they're interacting with fans.
1: Yeah, they're engaging with the world in a way that
0: is, you know, generationally appropriate. Totally. And so all these kids, and I saw it again and again, as I was watching the primetime coverage, where these announcers would be like, oh, like, we saw you were on your phone, like, what were you doing? And he was like, oh, I was like, going through Twitter, like, I performed live and." prime time and people were tweeting at me so I was responding to their tweets which to me seems totally logical and these yeah. older people could not wrap their minds around it so it's interesting to see um Red Gerard and you know to me I think saying a swear word on television is like a non-event but I guess because it was NBC and it's such a big stage it's just to yeah. me I'm like hey there's bigger things we could be talking about it's yes. kind of dumb um,
1: culturally speaking, I mean in the United States, that's not it's kind of a non-issue. I mean yeah. in that it was broadcast on NBC is a little dicey just because right. you know, yeah. but again, stations, it's like three news stations, but it's an
0: emotional moment and that could have happened
1: oh yeah to someone
0: who is, you know, older. Yeah. No, right. totally.
1: And that's the other thing too is like Olympic athletes don't have a very long career anyhow, so you know Right. And and now we're seeing too, like a lot of them are becoming. They're so young, like increasingly so. Like, um, yeah, what's her name? Gabby Douglas was like sixteen in right. her first Olympics, and I mean that was already like eight years ago now. Because mm-hmm. I believe she, yeah, she yeah. first competed it's in crazy. Beijing. Yeah. Oh God, that's more than eight years ago. Know. Dear Lord, we're, so we're old. old. So many Olympics under our belt.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just think it's under our belt. Where as if we
1: competed in them,
0: people <laughs> people a have a really hard time. Separating what's millennial culture from youth culture. Yeah. Which is a very distinct thing because there are zero millennials at this point who are actually like minors. Yeah. So that's one thing. And B, it's like the millennial stereotypes are so ingrained that anything positive that young people do to me gets attributed to Gen Z and to the kids that are in high school and college. Yeah,
1: because it's more impressive if they do it because they're young. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So. I just yeah. thought that was interesting. but Yeah,
1: that is interesting. And I think, too, like, if you think back, um, and this is something I believe you guys have addressed a few times on this podcast is, like, the idea of, like, youth activism in the 60s mm-hmm. as, like, as compared to now. And I think, yeah. you know, there are a lot of parallels It's very there. cyclical. Yeah, it totally is. And I think, you know, we're slightly past the prime of, like, college student activism just because, and I mean, this particular incident of school violence happens to kind of fit a little more organically with gen z just because you know it happened in their kind of area but i think you know like if virginia tech would have happened in 2018 i kind of wonder if maybe we'd see something similar or like yeah or just kind of i think it's just like the
0: smart like these students know like they know how to get on television they know how to call an audience on social media like i don't think millennials
1: Because we didn't have that. Yeah. You know, like, I I think about, like, myself at 16 or 17, and if something like that would have happened at my school, I don't know if I would have felt empowered enough or, like, would have really had the tools to have been able to kind of make that happen.
0: Yeah. It's like, even thinking back, like, we're at the tail end of the millennial generation. Like, I didn't get Instagram until I was in college. And I got, I made a Twitter account, like, my senior year of college. Mm-hmm. And that was like you know two years ago, so yeah, exactly. It's really you know, I I didn't I had Facebook and yeah, that's really that the was only about one it that I use. Yeah. I mean
1: I use Snapchat too, but. Yeah. Not quite to the extent that I'm on Facebook. And right. I and now I've been i t- I'm told like by my students and stuff that Facebook is like yeah. super old fashioned. I know. And so in some ways that's nice as an educator because it's a lot less likely that I'll run into my students yeah. <laughs> on social media now, which is nice. Totally. But yeah, it's you know, like everyone has their
0: new thing. But yeah. I've just been reading about these students. Also a lot of the students that have been super vocal. They all know each other from doing theater and, like, speech and debate, which is why they're so articulate.
1: Shocking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but again, like, not every school has that. Like, it's right. very particular yeah. that they they feel comfortable, sp- not everyone feels comfortable speaking on television, obvious, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, totally. And a lot of these kids do. So I think it's an interesting moment.
1: Yeah, it, it really is, for sure, because I, I, like, think about it, and, I mean, I was very young when Columbine happened, obviously, but... But I think about it like in nineteen ninety nine, the world was a super different place. Yeah. And like looking back on like if you ever watch like documentaries about the nineties, of course, that's always one of those things that pops up as being like the super significant event. And the media coverage is so focused on like the perpetrators and then like parents who are speaking out for their kids that were killed. But yeah, not a true. lot of not a lot of the coverage, at least like retrospectively and like in a historical kind of sense that I've seen has really been focused on students. Yeah,
0: that's a great point that i hadn't considered like i i agree with you like columbine you have these vivid sort of portrayals in the media of the parental outrage and then all of the like swirling stuff with like the media and like were these kids listening to marilyn manson which is like absurd that that's you know i'm glad we've gotten past that in like well in some ways we have
1: some ways we haven't though (laughs) but yeah but i've seen another episode
0: i mean the kid that did like the parkland shooting like there's a lot of focus on like his ethno-nationalism but not a lot of focus on like what tv was he watching and like what music was he listening oh, that's to interesting, you know what i mean i hadn't
1: really picked up on that part of the of the narrative oh, yeah. i also just don't he's like definitely things. a
0: nazi Ooh. sadly wow that's what buzzfeed told me buzzfeed news where oh. i got that so <laughs> yeah maybe i mean it's still soon so yeah. i don't want to speak out of turn but i
1: mean there's a lot well because i mean a lot of the coverage that i had kind of Noticed or kind of picked up on was the, the idea of like his mental instability and like yeah and that kind of stuff. But I hadn't yeah. really, I mean, I had heard about it, but I guess I didn't really consider that as like being a really central part of that narrative, yeah. which is weird because so I think you're
0: like, where are these people? Where are they lurking? That's what well, freaks me out. On I'm like, they're apparently. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. The, and
1: yeah. Again, whole other episode. But yeah. but, yeah, it's crazy It's crazy to think that, like, these people are in our backyards. And they're not as far away as we thought. No. Oh, they're everywhere. Yes. It's crazy. <laughs>
0: well, do you have any campfire topics for us?
1: Ooh. Um, i trying to think. You no, know, that's
0: cool. <laughs>
1: to
0: dive right into the interview. But if there's anything, this is your opportunity while well, you have the mic. Whatever you want to I talk had, like, about millennial cu- life. I
1: had, like, a couple that I was thinking about. Um, I guess, like... I mean, now I'm kind of thinking about it more as we've talked about it, of the idea of, you know, millennials kind of start, like, are kind of part of that generation starting to feel old and kind of outdated, yeah. which I think is interesting, because, you know, like, I'm 22, like, I, by no stretch of the imagination yeah. am I actually an old person? I mean, we're
0: in a weird position, because we're at the tail end. Yeah. Like, I feel like people, like, the people that are, f- like, firmly millennials are, like, they're, like, just turning 30, or, like, they're yeah. in their late 20s, so. Yeah. But even but still, yeah, I kind of wonder
1: if this, like almost planned obsolescence of, of my adulthood is kind yeah. of, is going to continue on into my 30s. Like, I, I kind of wonder about that,
0: you yeah. know? Well, that's what we're, that's honestly, like, one of the things that Shay and I are trying to do with this podcast is, like, when we first started, when we had the idea, like, stemming from even a few years ago, like, it was coming from a place of, like, oh, millennials are being shit on, and, like, yes, coupled <laughs> with the fact that, like, we are sometimes, like, doing really big adult things, but sometimes we're, like, trash bags. Yeah. Um, Which I I think resonates with a lot of people, but now it's kind of, like...
1: Yeah, I mean, I woke up at 1 o'clock this afternoon today, so... Yeah. I fall into the category of trash bags there's
0: always... Totally, like, I have a really, like, professional job at a professional company, but, like, I still sleep until noon on the weekends. Like, it happens, you know? Yeah. So, there's that, but I think, as of late, like, as I've reflected on it, like... I think part of this project is maintaining the, rele- the relevancy of millennials as Gen Z is becoming more formed. Sure. And quite frankly, from what I've gathered, the general perception and the articles and the media and stuff that I've read about Gen Z is more positive. So it is like,
1: yeah, it's, it's kind millennialism
0: of... millennialism over? I don't think it is, but... Yeah,
1: but it's, you know, it's like a great example if you compare it to, like, the iPhone, which is kind of the, the symbol of, yeah. of the millennial generation totally. in a lot of ways.
0: It came out in 2007. And...
1: Yeah, so kind of, like, right at that critical moment mm-hmm. um, for a lot, like, of our end of the millennial generation for sure... So I kind of wonder if, you know, like those kinds of trends in technology where things happen so quickly and then are replaced really fast, I wonder if we're starting to see that like in a sociocultural context, you know? I think yeah. that's kind of an interesting thing to think about as we become more aware of the world around us and as we become more articulate on, on things like our generation and what it means to be a part of that generation while it's happening, because I kind of wonder if you know, and I would love to talk with people that lived through this, like, people who are considered, like, from that greatest generation. You know, like, if they were really aware of kind of what that identity as a larger sense meant, or if because the world is so much more global now that it's easier to think in those kind of macro senses about groups of people. I think it depends.
0: I think that's a great point, because I think for every generation, like, if you start to unpack it, like, the greatest generation is called that because World War II, right? right? So that's something... that that at the very minimum you had to be 18 so you had 18 years of life where it was just like what are we doing and then World War II happened whereas the baby boomers they got that moniker from day one from when they were born millennials it's like if you look at the
1: that's kind of more of a passage of time kind of thing yeah it's
0: like when when you were coming of age which I think that's kind of like the ladybird phenomenon of like the early aughts or whatever yes um, so that's not really it's just kind of like you are here and I think that's how a lot of millennials feel is they're just like oh I just happened like nothing specific to us is why it's millennial it's just we just happen to be here at a certain time whereas yeah. I feel like other like Gen X is kind of a weird one because I don't think
1: I think Gen X is is actually probably one of the generations that we have the most in common with in that way because I yeah. feel like Again, thinking about it, historically speaking, like, a lot of the kind of media surrounding Gen X and, like, and, you know, obviously, like, with the death of Kurt Cobain, like, then that identity kind of started to become a little more solidified, I think. But to me, it always seems like those were people putting ideas onto this generation of what that meant. And I think you kind of see the same thing with Millennials, which, you know, like you said, is why you guys started this project. Like, Millennials just get shit on all the time, but it's not necessarily, like, coming from us and from our perspective
0: no
1: and so i think that's why it's like shay and i we were like we don't
0: see this like i don't all of my friends are millennials really and it's like none of them are lazy all of them are like working a bunch of jobs or in school or some combination thereof mm-hmm. they're all they all have creative side hustles you know and yeah. this, this isn't even you know I used to think, like, being in New York, I was like, oh, maybe my perception is skewed because I live in New York, and it's, like, a big city, and there's a lot going on, but then I started talking to people back home, and it's like, no, it's it's really a widespread thing. Like, yeah. we're not lazy and entitled, so I think that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I work three jobs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, three part-time jobs, I'm like. and I'm doing an unpaid <laughs> internship right now. Well, actually, a yeah. paid internship that I'm paying for. Yeah. So, you I'm know. Like, hmm, how does that work? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So, and I think one of my big uh hills to die on is you know if if you're upset about the entitled mentality or the fact that millennials are maybe a little pickier about what they want to do we're not just going to take the job that's just sitting in our neighborhood like you're a great example you're going to Seattle because that's where the program was you're not just staying in Michigan just because that's like what's convenient to you no
1: I mean I could like the, the yeah. Detroit museum scene is awesome and I I but there's no saying you might not return, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because, like, a lot of my friends who are in the museum community all said to me, they were, like, why do you want to go out of state for grad school? Like, it's going to be so hard if you come back. And one of, one of my good friends who works at the, um, the Eleanor and Edsel Ford House in Grosse Point, she had said to me yeah I mean like I went out of state for grad school and I came back and I'm not gonna lie to you like it was really hard once I came back to like reforge all those connections but at the same time like the way that museum professionals communicate now the way that all people communicate is so different right it's very digital yeah it's so easy to stay connected with people and I I don't know I don't know if that's just like me being really into it so i researched it more or or it is I mean it is different obviously well you're
0: definitely like a go-getter but I think it's it, too, is, like, you know, anyone can, you can forge your own path, and I don't think it's necessarily one-size-fits-all, which I think no. is how I think a lot of Gen X and baby boomers feel, where it's, you know...
1: Well, because at one point it kind of was, you know, like, you go, you get a factory yeah. job, and then you do that, and you're really comfortable. You yeah. You buy a house, have some kids. Totally. And, then, and that's that. And, like, that's a totally awesome way to live your life. You can still kind of do that. Yeah. In some ways but it's in like, I think.
0: but... What you're doing is great because it's, like, you have the option to stay, but it's, like, if you're going to stay, that's fine, but at least make it, like, a conscious decision. Don't just stay because that's the default.
1: Yeah, and I and I mean, too, like, in in my kind of content area that, that I'm kind of focusing my museum work, like, channeling it through, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, you know, I mean, Seattle's a great place for that, and Detroit is also a great place for that. I mean, it's the home of Motown, yeah. like... Fantastic place to be musically, but but you know, and I think that's something too that I like about it is museums will always be relevant, yeah, no matter what community you're in. Um, I I mean, depending on like how everything is hashed out logistically, sure, yeah, of course, because there are a lot of museums even in this city that are kind of disconnected from from the community that they're supposed to be serving. Um, like there's this big controversy right now, actually, because the Met just decided to start charging admission, which they like haven't done.
0: Tell me about this controversy because I read a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Um, for years and years, the, the Met had never charged admission. So it was truly a public, uh, public entity, but now they've decided to start charging folks to come and see the art, which, you know, is kind of a symptom of a larger problem of people thinking that museums are really important, but not understanding, really, the financial implications of keeping them open, which is a thing, you know? I mean, it costs right, money yeah. to do stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's um, so it's kind of interesting, and there are yeah. people that are upset about it because they think that it's restricting access to people who, you know, don't have... Like, the equity does not exist in our society for them to also go and be able to enjoy it. So it's creating something that's already a pretty exclusive um, place, a little bit more exclusive, and, and so... It's it's very interesting to kind of see how this is going to yeah. impact other institutions that also don't charge admission and whether or not they're going to eventually become yeah. pressured to do the same thing. The Met is kind of, they're like,
0: they're like the Harvard of museums, really. Yeah. Like, we've talked a lot about, like, what Harvard's doing with Greek life, as an example. It's like, they're the thought leaders. The Met is kind of the same way in the yes. museum world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, it's crazy. And, I mean... It's interesting too because it's like the Met and then all the different branches of the Smithsonian. I think in the oh, United States. States are probably two really good examples of of those like huge yeah. museums that everyone kind of looks to as an example. And the Smithsonian is Smithsonian is in an interesting position because they're located on the National Mall and like they have all kinds of federal funding and mm-hmm. protection. That's what in I was going to say like so I... that's free as well. Yeah, but I
0: th- it's museums are interesting because it's it's an intersection between so much corporate money but mm-hmm. also the public good.
1: Yeah, and policy, too. Policy is a huge deal there, and um, so museums are actually, like, super political, you yeah. know, which I don't, I think a lot of people don't think about, because they're like, field trip destinations are like, oh, I have nothing to do on a Saturday afternoon, like, let's go to the museum, but um, they really are, like, super political places, if you think about it. Um, <clears throat> like, you know, the, the Smithsonian being a, a federal institution that receives federal funding, so you don't have to pay admission to go there, like, it's, yeah. that's crazy. Or I'm
0: even thinking about, like, the DIA, that's a big
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: They're actually charging people specific taxes from the community, mm-hmm. Yeah. so it's almost, yeah. I mean, obviously, any federal or state funding is obviously yeah. coming from taxes, but to have it be so explicit that, like, really, is that, And I want to ask this question to you because I'm not as connected to the, the world as you are. But do you see a difference between what the Mets doing where it's like if you want to go, you're going to pay versus what the DIA did where they're like everyone in the community is going to pay whether you want to use the service or not?
1: Um, Yes and no, because what's interesting about the DIA, um, for those of you not from the Detroit metro area, is that was like a tri-county millage, so for Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb County. And DIA is in Detroit, which is Wayne. Yeah, the Detroit Institute of Arts, yeah. Um, Which, actually, you know, now that I think about it, that's probably another, like, if we were to make a list of, like, top ten most important museums in the U.S. yeah, it's a fabulous museum. Yeah. um, It's great. If if you're familiar with the work of Diego Rivera, there's a whole courtyard where um, he did murals about... Um, the Detroit Automotive Industry, which are really famous. and um, They
0: also have great, like, traveling exhibits, too.
1: Yes. Yeah, like, they've, they've been really good. They get good. some really good stuff. Yeah, they've been really great in the past, uh, like, 15, 20 years about getting out in the community, too, which is really cool. Um, their new director is also just really awesome and has been working super hard to get more involved in the community. Um, but, but you know, that that's kind of also a weird thing, though, is because, you know, it was a tri-county millage, so you pay taxes in order to, you know, cover the operating costs of the museum and things like that. And this happened, <laughs>
0: sorry, because Detroit went bankrupt. Yes. Was kind of the impetus for this.
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, yeah. so the city was no longer able to fund the museum. So um, so what happened in the state government is they decided to do kind of this thing where they would just pass a millage, and so part of your the tax revenue would go towards keeping the museum open, um, but only for, like, the three counties in the immediate area of the city of detroit Mm -hmm. so so then what that means is then you get free admission if you live in any of those locations but if you live anywhere outside of those three you do still or out of state obviously then you still have to pay admission Mm -hmm. which you know in some ways makes sense because geographically speaking i mean michigan's not a huge state but you know it takes a good like probably six or seven hours to drive from the bottom of the state to the top you know so so there's that um So, in some ways, that policy is kind of exclusive, too, if you think about it, but but in, in a lot of ways, it's also different because it does open up access to people who are in the community of the museum, which, if you think about what museums are really supposed to do, is serving the community.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like if you, um, you know, I think people don't look, I mean, this is a larger thing, but, like, people don't look at what their taxes are going towards and I think they should I well think people sometimes should people know. Know. don't know too right. which is the other totally which is a problem but I think if people realize like oh I live in a community where like part of my taxes are going to a museum you know what I mean mm-hmm. that's yeah something that people should know or the flip side is like oh my taxes are going up because it's funding all of these things do I care about them are they things that I think are valuable in the community yeah. you know what I mean so I think it's interesting to think about these things and I to me, it's kind of obvious, but I don't think a lot of people realize that, like, there is a lot of government funding in museums. I think people think about it as, like, private donation. It's for, like, fancy rich people that, like, patronize it. But But what's
1: happening, though, is all those fancy rich people are dying. Yeah. (laughs) So, because it's really, I mean, it's really hard to become independently wealthy now, you know, like, I mean, unless you're, well, I mean, yes and no, but unless you're, like, Bill Gates or whatever. Well, it's also,
0: (laughs) I was, there was a talk at my office, they sometimes have, you know, people in the community come and, different people. And there was this guy and he was, he worked for a newspaper and he was like, yeah, there, we're going to see a time in the not so distant future where there's going to be entire states like Wyoming, for example, where there won't be a single newspaper, you know, like every, every state currently, like all 50 states, there's at least one newspaper where it's local news, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's state it covers the state. So like in Detroit, they have the Detroit news, the free press, like obviously it's Detroit centric, but that gets propagated all over the state. And that's like a premier paper that goes all over the country and stuff. Um, But there's going to be a time where these smaller state and local papers are not going to be there. And then it's the only way people are going to get their news is from national news or from the neighboring state. And it's like, what does that mean? And he said, you know, you have to think about like, it's a charitable, it's, a charitable contribution thing and if you're someone Mm -hmm. who's, you know, virtue signaling in Hollywood or, you know, a rich person and you're like, you know, we need free and open access to information, something that you could do to put your money where your wrath is, is, you know, funding these small newspapers. And I think the same thing goes for museums. Like they're very local. They're very, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. museums exist in a particular space they can't move no one's moving the Met; like it's gonna stay yeah in that exactly. location <laughs> right you can't yeah. move the dia right like i know they talked about yeah. like selling the art and stuff but like they really are physical institutions yeah. and they are a representation of where they sit so yeah
1: totally and and too i mean part of this is like the ethics of having a museum as well as like it's horribly unethical to sell the the pieces of the collection in order to keep the doors open. Like, that's yeah. something that the American Alliance of Museums specifically says that you cannot and should not do. So, and that's that's one of those things where, like, unless you're on the inside of the industry, you don't really right. know that kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, it, it makes sense to the yeah. average person, and I would hope
0: so. But it's,
1: like, at a certain point,
0: and there's different types of museums, obviously. I mean, the Met does a oh, lot yeah. of things that are not, like, you're not just going to see from walking in there, you know.
1: And exactly. a lot of
0: museums do that. A lot of museums are just specifically like galleries where it's mm-hmm. like you're coming and you see what they do, but it's like if the collection keeps growing, you need more and more people to maintain it and
1: yeah, places to store job it. security for you. Like <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the cool thing too that that draws me to that is, you know, as long as there are Are people and as long as there's culture and things to be documented there will always be these places whether or not they're super formal is is yet to be seen
0: probably but and i think there's a huge market like i just i was in a sorority in college and i went to the sorority headquarters in columbus a few months ago and we met with the um archivist of the sorority and it was like so fascinating because I was like wow it makes sense like it was founded in the 1800s so there's a lot of old stuff but there's still new stuff and one of the big um, things that she was doing was she wanted to make sure there's like hundreds of chapters all over the country and there's a ton of stuff which she's working to digitize and doing all this cool stuff with all the old stuff from like the founding Mm -hmm. chapters but she was like I want to make sure that we have a piece of history from every chapter. Yeah. And, like, I'm coming from a new chapter. And she was like, yeah, a lot of the newer chapters, like, if someone came in here and they were like, I want to do a survey of every chapter and get information from the archives, like, there's nothing from my chapter in there. So it's, like, it's not just old stuff. And I think there's a lot of opportunities there for... not just public museums but specific organizations that are trying to preserve their legacy as well
1: yeah that's that's so true and um something that's really interesting i mean the museum that i work at is a house museum it's on the campus of ou actually it's called meadowbrook hall shout out um so it's great i've been there it's so freaking beautiful, beautiful right christmas lights yeah it's really great yeah. <laughs> if
0: anyone's going in the wintertime. If anyone
1: also wants to donate their money to Meadowbrook Hall, you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> because it costs us so much money to run the house every day. Yeah. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful space. But anyway, so it, it was built in the 1920s, so it's almost 100 years old now, but <clears throat> but even still, like the history of the university, which is so intertwined with the home itself. Because yeah. it was
0: all donated, the land was all donated. Yeah, the land yeah. was
1: donated from uh, Matilda Wilson and her husband, Alfred Wilson. They donated all their land, and then a bunch of money and uh, founded Oakland University. Uh, it was originally part of Michigan State, but kind of became its own yeah. its own situation. That's and something now, here we are. Yeah. yeah. So, so even still, like that part of the of the history of it is still pretty new. If you think about it, I mean, it's, the university is then only yeah. you know sixty or so years old. So it's. It, It's crazy, like you know, history doesn't just mean old things. Totally, it's ongoing, you know, which is the the challenge for museums is, you know, to keep things that are old from, you know, feeling old.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and also just like crumbling. Like I had a friend. Yeah, preservation is a huge issue. Oh my god, one of my um, sorority friends. This is a different thing, but she got an art history degree in college, and then she. She really wanted to be, like, an art restorer, mm-hmm. and she had to get a chemical engineering degree to be able to, like, yeah. deal with the chemicals and stuff. So she was, obviously, yeah. those are two very different degrees, so she was doing that, but it's, like, insane the amount of detail, yeah, especially that's really in the interesting. art, mm-hmm. the chemicals involved.
1: Yeah, definitely, and knowing, like, what kinds of uh, reactions chemicals have to, like, old pigments, because, you know, a lot of paint that we use now is chemically and compositionally like so different you know we don't put lead in paint anymore and another crazy crazy things you know like we have more synthetic pigments now than natural pigments so they do tend to age differently obviously yeah so it's so crazy what do you look forward
0: to doing the most once you have your
1: degree? (laughs) so so my um, my goal is obviously like in a more educational sector of museums. I really just want to bring you know what we do in the music classroom. To museums, and, and vice versa, because there's a lot of opportunity for connection between those two entities that doesn't always happen a yeah. lot, especially for, for a music class. Like, it's, it, it's really hard to schedule field trips for students from a bunch of different classes, for example, because it's not like being a classroom teacher where you have, like, your 25 kids that you see every day, and so planning a field trip is really easy because you all have the same schedule at the same time. Um, but for music teachers, it's a little bit trickier. So what I would really like to do is, is find ways to create more of a digital presence for museums so that they can kind of travel a little bit more Mm -hmm. in the way that like the DIA tries to do. Um, although their programs are a little more physical, obviously, since they have like a giant trailer that they take around Yeah. (laughs) that we had actually come to Meadowbrook this winter, which was really cool. cool. Yeah, it was neat. Um, and so so yeah because the internet is is this great big resource that mm-hmm. we use for a lot of a lot of things but we also aren't using it for a lot of things that we could I yeah. think especially ed- those educational resources like there are a lot of museums especially in the Seattle area for example that have those like online lesson plans or whatever to guide your trip to the museum, but some of them are like horribly outdated. Yeah, <laughs> and you know have links that don't work anymore, or like are from when the museum was called something else, and now it's been renamed and it's different. Yeah, totally. And so I think just kind of giving it needs those a new life,
0: like yeah, I think that's giving a good those point. things a
1: facelift for sure.
0: Like getting young professionals like yourself interested in museums, as well as you were saying, all the donors are dying especially in the art world it's like
1: yeah yeah exactly you know. there aren't a lot of like 80 year old women who just have yeah. all their great great grandfather's money anymore know. <laughs> you know
0: it's definitely a new era of having to be flexible yeah I think.
1: totally and that's the that's the thing that i think is really unique about my position being a music educator because you know we have to kind of fly by the seat of our pants a lot and yeah and make something out of nothing a lot of times so so, and that's another really unique challenge of museums, being nonprofit um, organizations for the most part. Yeah. Is, you know, you have to raise every dollar that you spend, so you do have to end up getting really creative. And um, and I think that having that in an educational context is super helpful to what museums can and really should be doing. But totally. I could go I on and talk about that I for No, I love that.
0: I did not know before sitting down to interview you that you were doing museum stuff and it's fascinating and it's something that we haven't touched upon and I think it is relevant for millennials because I think a lot especially, you know, people like myself that live in a city, we all kind of pride ourselves on being cultured and, you know, engaging with the community. But it's like if you're A, you know, making a point to like patronize when you can, I know that's a big point that Shay likes to make too, you know. Obviously, it's not accessible for everyone, but if it is accessible for you and you can, you know, pay for your art, don't download things off the internet for free. Like, yeah. Go to the museum, and if it has a suggested donation, pay you the full price if you can. Like, those things are very important, and it goes a long way. And I think, you know, if everyone kind of, from a cultural perspective, picked, whether it was a local newspaper or a museum that you really like or something about your community... Yeah. ...that you were willing to give to like it's great to give to national things but I think it's always better to
1: give on a local level yes um I went to a conference in Lansing this fall and the one of the keynote speakers was the the kind of director of the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History in Detroit and oh she, that's a
0: great museum yes it's it really well it done. really
1: is if you're in the Detroit area definitely go check it out it's really really just a fantastic um fantastic institution. So she talked about, you know, museums as being places that need to serve their communities, because they're the lifeblood of the community. And like you're saying, you know, they are these great spaces of preservation for our identities and how we communicate with one another. And I think too, that's also what really appeals to me being a millennial and going into museum Mm -hmm. work is the focus on stories and being able to tell those stories when, like, to connect to what we were talking about earlier, a lot of these stories kind of get pushed upon us and we don't always have an opportunity to really articulate our our narrative. And so that's something that's really compelling to me.
0: And being part of, you know, obviously if you stay with this field as a career, like, at some point you're going to be part of what about millennial history gets put in the museums too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's going to
0: happen. Some of it's already happening. Yeah.
1: It's crazy because
0: like, like the fact that library of Congress used to like archive every tweet, which is like insanity. I think they've, Yeah, I think they've probably, yeah,
1: (laughs) there are probably certain accounts that they're following now, but...
0: But like, when we had um, my friend Kevin on, he used to work at the Library of Congress um, Film Archive.
1: Oh, wow. Which was
0: really cool. They have, like, a bunker it's like very I'm sure they do yeah yeah, yeah I've like read about that film. like these crazy yeah. yeah they have
1: crazy storage for their but collection.
0: the library of congress is like a weird thing because I feel like they pit they're like this is gonna be the next thing that like the next generation is gonna care about they're like we're gonna archive all the tweets and then they realize that like 80 percent of tweets are just like yeah. nonsense that like no one cares <laughs> about so now they're like okay we're gonna do like culturally significant ones but then it's like who determines what's culturally significant yeah that's a Just huge challenge to go down a rabbit
1: hole yeah, yeah yeah right that could be like a whole like mini series yeah. actually Just to me
0: if I like we've talked about this a lot like the episode which I guess when people are hearing this will already be out but we interviewed someone last week who um works at BuzzFeed and we talked a lot about meme culture and how it is very important and it is a way that people communicate on the internet yeah And it's almost like it's its own language. It's
1: kind of crossing over, yeah, into real life. It's one of those weird things.
0: Yeah, it's hard to explain to people. Like, we've talked about Yes. (laughs) Like, especially older people. How it's, like, you can show... Like, you know the meme where it's, like, the guy and he's walking with his girlfriend he's, like, looking at the other girl? Yes! Like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. If I said that to my parents or someone my parents' age, they would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, it just goes right over the top But, like, heads. you know exactly mm-hmm.
0: what I'm talking about and, like, you know, yeah. just from being on the internet.
1: Yeah, which is funny because it's a great case study in, um, in you know, kind of representative thinking and yeah. abstraction. And it's funny because then, like people of that generation will sometimes talk about how, you know, millennials don't have any critical thinking skills, like, we've never been asked to, like, do all this stuff, but really, that's a perfect example of that, because it takes such a high level of thinking yeah. to understand, you know, what's kind of really a, oh, a stupid really internet is. meme, but it's it, a
0: high level of humor because the highest level of humor is, like, you yeah. have to know, you have to have a mutual understanding of, like, the original source material. Yeah,
1: like, we don't have to explain then, the joke
0: to you. Right.
1: And and the fact that it's transferable, too, to to mm-hmm. other topics of conversation, like, that that's really what's brilliant yeah. about those. Mm-hmm. But it's
0: like, if I was a stuffy, like, 70-year-old working at the Library of Congress, and I saw all these, like, weird internet memes, it might not resonate with that person, and they're gonna be like, that's not culturally significant. Yeah. So even to just have... Millennials, even at a low level, working at these places, interning, yeah. like whatever.
1: Yeah, and I think it's that's, all about
0: representation.
1: Yeah, that, and I think too, what's what's cool about that, if we want to talk about memes specifically, is like oh, there is that. I love
0: memes all oh, time. Oh gosh, I we've do talked too. about memes a surprisingly low amount on this podcast for how significant they are to the generation. I think. Ooh. Yeah, and, like that, internet culture in general. We talk a lot be... about media, but like the internet specifically. Yeah,
1: that would be a cool like um, tiny segment to pop yeah. in there, like just. Me. Millennial moments, millennial memes. Yeah. Oh my
0: god, it. we could do like a
1: whole blog post on the website of like that would be really These awesome. Are all the memes. Yeah. Oh my god. Project. Meme of the week. <gasps> That's a good one. That would probably that, that would be this. tricky though because I feel like memes happen a little more quickly than that. But
0: yeah, well, there's some like that I think are there are some that are like kind some of enduring, though. Yeah, yeah like I think there's ones like the original what I think of like the original I'm sure. People <laughs> the who have, like OG actually memes. studied this, I'm sure there's like someone getting a college degree in this. Someone's gonna... probably
1: writing a dissertation yeah. as we speak. But like actually. to me,
0: the OG memes were like the square boxes with like the white writing on yeah. the top and the bottom, and it was like one picture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or it was like bad luck Brian. Yeah. Like that's what it was. It was like a picture and then like bad a caption. I, I know. use it all the time. Iconic. But that to me is like the OG meme. So like those mm-hmm. will endure. But then there are yeah. some where it's like
1: they're, it's they like just... the picture
0: of like Chrissy Teigen at the Oscars, yes. and like people put captions on it, like, okay, that's not going to be relevant like ten years from now. But
1: no. yeah, that that's uh, that's a good point too. And again, kind of goes into that like scheduled obsolescence kind of thing. Yeah, like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, because Pepe the Frog will never not be funny. Yeah. But you know, but yeah, Chrissy Teigen at the yeah, Oscars like... might not always be
0: a thing. Understood. Yeah. yeah, it's like you have to be in a specific moment, and it's also like the way that memes are spread like mm-hmm. the algorithms like i was reading something um it was also in buzzfeed news wow really good well not I, diverse with you my know, to, i like buzzfeed news to
1: but. say though i you know for topics like that though i think that's a good source to yeah, go to they like
0: know it they clearly <laughs> are like authority on memes yeah they really are well they were talking about why they're kind
1: of responsible for propagating them really so
0: yeah oh my god shareable that a- content
1: is that, is that a conflict of interest? I wonder if they're if they're reporting on this, like because oh, they're I the wonder. ones sharing the memes. Well,
0: it's interesting. Like millennial my ethics right here we guys. <laughs> talk to I mean, you haven't listened to the episode yet, but um, my friend that works at BuzzFeed, she does affiliate marketing, so it's like it's different okay. from branded content. Branded content is like a company comes to you and they're like, We would like you to write what is, like, a native article, but it's really, like, an advertisement for a company.
1: Yeah, so, like, when they do the articles of, like, oh, brushing your teeth is so easy, or, like, here's 10 things you should know about going to college, and it's, like, an ad for Crest Toothpaste or something. Yeah, Yeah.
0: so that's branded content, but there's something that's, it's a little, it's similar, but different. It's kind of more of, like, a marriage between that and, like, truly editorial content where they it's like truly it's it's like real content like they'll say like okay we want to do like a review of like the best face creams out there Mm -hmm. and so they'll go out and they'll be like all right we're gonna write about these 10 face creams yeah like i
1: tried this face cream for a week and here's what i did to my skin yeah and then
0: they'll go and if you buy the face cream like if they put a link and they have like the buzzfeed identifier and you buy the face cream i mean i'm i'm kind of Butchering this for simplicity purposes, but it's like a
1: tracking. Yeah, like they can track.
0: Like if if they post like an Amazon link and you buy the face cream from the Buzzfeed article, they get a cut of that. And they also, and this is where it kind of is a gray area between like branded content and editorial, where they Mm -hmm. have companies like like Birchbox, for example. They do a Mm -hmm. lot with Birchbox, where it's like Birchbox will come to them and they'll be like, over the course of the next three months, you're gonna write x articles about our products yeah. but you get to choose what products they are so they're not going to put the shitty products on there
1: right but it's yeah. still
0: like they're still getting money from
1: a company for yeah. writing about it so it is yeah it it's is a very like product placement for the internet age yes, i think it's a good way to think of it that.
0: is it totally is like it doesn't skeeve me out but it's still like
1: it's still kind of like kind of weird though yeah
0: it's still like because BuzzFeed's a pretty
1: large media company, if you think about yeah, it. I, I don't know. Are they, like, what's their parent company? Are they kind of their it's just own? BuzzFeed. It, they're their yeah, own yeah. entity? They haven't mm-hmm. been bought out by no. Facebook yet?
0: <laughs> yeah. Jonah Peretti is still the He's the founder of BuzzFeed, and he's wow. still running it. Yeah. That's crazy. Um which is a testament to them that they've been able to sustain their brand and everything. But yeah. it is interesting. And these are things, again, like, that's a whole field. Like, she's an expert in this. This is what she does. She writes affiliate marketing mm-hmm. pieces or whatever. Like, that didn't exist... Yeah, no. ten years ago. Not even five years ago, probably. Yeah. But, um, so that's interesting. But, yeah, the BuzzFeed article that I was talking about, they were saying, like, it was an article about how Google and YouTube and Twitter and all these yeah. systems that supposedly have these, like, really great algorithms that if you, mm-hmm. if you type in something, it's supposed to give you the most relevant search yeah. results, right? And there was a situation with, like, going back to the most recent yeah. mass shooting in Florida, people in the moment, like, on day one, day two, yeah. they were trying to figure out what happened. They were just trying to get basic information, like, yeah. where did the shooting happen? What's the latest, you know? Mm-hmm. They were not trying to get, like, opinion pieces. They were just trying to get, no. like, basic facts. Yeah. And there were these, like, 4chan, which, like, 4chan is a black box that, like, I know very little about. I Yeah, I haven't even, like, like thought about 4chan existing but, like, in a really long time. <laughs> the people on there are smart and they know how the internet works. And so yeah. if you get a bunch of people to look at something on 4chan, it'll go up in the Google right. search results. And so that was happening. Like, people were, like, gaming the system of Google and so there was a bunch of like quote-unquote fake news at the top of the Google search results that was just like bullshit whatever nonsense yeah and it got reported by users to Google like users were like sending this to Google being like this is not right like you should take it down or whatever and this has happened a lot of times to YouTube and to Twitter as well yeah and they were saying you know why are savvy internet users policing these companies more than the companies are policing themselves like don't you think they have people on the payroll who are like if you were a google i would think it would be like 101 to have like some intern that you pay like eight dollars an hour just to like google search like relevant things that are happening that day just to see what like the layperson would see yeah but i think they think that maybe they're too smart for that and they don't need it it's just an interesting thing of like how yeah what we think of like as internet culture might just be like a spam bot from 4chan for a while and then it gets washed out with like the real mm-hmm. stuff it's like very
1: yeah i kind of wonder though like in that in that realm, though, if you're thinking about, like, how these things come to the top of the Google search results, and then it takes so many people to report on it to be like, hey, this isn't right. Yeah. Because, you know, with anything you always need multiple eyes on something. So I wonder if it's really, like, it would kind of almost be impossible yeah. for them to just have an intern sitting at a desk doing right. that, because if you think about it, like, the, well, the wonder, Google search results in, like, Topeka, Kansas, they're and, gonna be different, and yeah. Yeah, Detroit, for example, would probably be a little bit different, yeah. based on, because people are searching for different things, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, people aren't really searching. Totally. Like, what do I do if a tumbleweed is in my tree in Detroit? But, like, in Kansas they
0: might be. (laughs) Oh, my God. Totally. Well, (laughs) the article was talking about, (laughs) they were like, you know, Google's had these, like, high-profile blunders where they're like, okay, clearly fake news has come to the top. But it's like, that might be, we might just be seeing the smallest amount, but really they're catching so much more that we don't see, and we're, like, shitting on them for you know, these really high profile things, yeah. but really they're catching, like,
1: 99% of the shit yeah. that, like, they should be catching. Because it really is just, like, being a responsible consumer of media. Yeah. Because, you know, increasingly we're, we're consumers. We're not yeah. producing the media. We're just gonna No. Outside of this on. podcast, which is not fake news. <laughs> no, it the is opposite not fake, of fake news. news. Well, I mean tumbleweeds flying in trees that was a little bit of some fake news i'm sure that's happened it probably has if there's anyone out there listening from topeka kansas and wants to write in about that here's your chance
0: hello at campadulthood.com shout Shout out out again it's great (laughs) well i think this is a great time to head into the archery range of our rapid fire (laughs) questions yeah oh my god we were watching the biathlon the winter biathlon at dinner it's weird weird sport
1: it's so interesting though, because then we researched the history yeah. on it, and it's really fascinating. Yeah, so I'll we'll just put, put a link it. to the Wikipedia article on for the them.
0: biathlon. Yeah, <laughs> it is really interesting. But I'm also like, oh, it's super weird. Why?
1: But it's why are, so are they lying cool. down? How is this safe?
0: Because they're understand. like,
1: on, if you are not familiar with this event, yeah, they're on skis, and it's like a, I don't know, it's, it's almost like cross country, like a almost... relay race kind of though, yeah. because they have to like. They have to, have to ski from one location to be shooting to another, so they're just, like, skiing down a mountain with, like, a, I don't even know, is it, like, a rifle, or, like, what are gun. they shooting? It
0: was an M22. C- cause, yeah, because we yeah. couldn't agree
1: on what it was, because they kind of almost look like crossbows, too, but they are shooting yeah. bullets. They were, like, a specific, it's like, very bizarre.
0: like, sport gun, like, they looked yeah, interesting, but they were shooting, like, real bullets, for sure, yeah. which was interesting. At so. real targets. Anyways, archery range. Maybe we'll change the name of the subject to the Winter Biathlon. <laughs> <laughs> that would <I'll>
1: be j- <laughs> great. And then you have to like ski. That's the segue. Oh my god! Get some like skiing sound effects. We love it. Um,
0: so just answer off the top of your head. Don't right. think too much. Could be a top ten favorite. Doesn't have to be number one favorite. Cool. Um, favorite book.
1: Favorite book. Ooh, uh, we were just talking about this, but Just Kids by Patty Smith. Oh, it's was great. one of my faves. I love her. Have you read M Train? No, I haven't. It's good. It lives up. To, it's different from
0: Just Kids, but That's anything awesome. she writes is amazing. Yeah. Uh, favorite musical
1: artist? Musical artist? Prince, hands down. I have a Prince tattoo, so really, yeah. Oh my god,
0: yeah. you have to show me after this. Oh, I will. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> um, favorite place you visited outside of Michigan? Croatia. Oh, nice. Yeah. Dubrovnik, Split. Where'd you go? I was in Zagreb. Oh, nice. Yeah. My friends went
1: though. to Dubrovnik the next day, though. So oh, I I wanted I to go beautiful. back this summer, but it's probably not going to happen because I have to spend all my money moving out west. But oh, lame. Yeah. No, it's cool. But it's a beautiful country and the people are just fantastic. And the beer is really cheap. So all the win Sounds
0: great. Um, favorite year in elementary school?
1: Third grade.
0: I love that. That's always a good one. Shay and I, we started asking that question because we were like, oh, we're interested.
1: And most people say third or fourth grade. So I don't know. What it is about that grade. I think third grade was really cool for me. I had like a super important experience that I vividly remember. Um, My third grade teacher, who was later my voice teacher in high school, she was a professional opera singer. Um, while she was teaching elementary school and so we got to go see her in an opera oh my gosh that's awesome and it's funny I kind of hate opera now like I never want (laughs) to perform it ever but I have this deep appreciation for it and so it was really cool to see like someone that I admired a lot as an educator like also having the kind of creative side hustle and so that was a really cool that's awesome cool thing
0: favorite movie
1: favorite movie the royal
0: tenenbaums oh nice favorite television show Mad Men, classic. I approve of that. Uh, Favorite childhood snack.
1: This is still like a current favorite snack, but like trail mix. Trail Uh, trail mix of any variety. Classic, always good. I'm here
0: for it. Outdoors, indoors. Yeah.
1: Really. Yeah, trails can happen anywhere. So
0: that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you for
1: having me. Well, I kind of invited
0: myself on the podcast. It's great. You would be. I mean hey the best people to interview are the ones that are excited to be here because i've asked people and they've agreed to it and then they're like they get on the mic and they like don't know what it's about like you have a working understanding oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, that of like sucks.
0: what podcasts are and yeah.
1: and i i just love this i one. love it yeah that and, makes
0: me so happy and i'm happy that there's people that like it and are engaging with it and think yeah. it's an interesting topic and that want to come on and share their story so i thank you for yeah. that is there anything you want to plug or where people can find you? Or do you want to be an international woman of mystery? Oh, oh
1: God. Well, <laughs> I, not to be an international woman of mystery. Please, no. Um, I mean, you can find me on Facebook. I'm not that hard to find. <laughs> um, if you find a lot of pictures of me with a cat, then you you yeah. found me. Um, Just send
0: her a message so she knows you're not a spam bot
1: <laughs> from 4chan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If or you find her on Facebook. If, or if you are a spam bot from 4chan, I would love that's to hear fine. from you. That's I yeah. Like, that's cool. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but awesome and you have a
0: podcast
1: i do it's kind of um it's sort of on hiatus right now but you can find us it's super ratchet it's on podcast.com I love it. um there's actually two of them so i did one that was kind of a solo adventure i did this weird thing where i listened to pinkerton by weezer oh yes i saw it on like a whole i have to week. listen to that oh my gosh there are there are only three episodes on it
0: and i i love I, stuff like that that are like project podcast because yeah it was you go down um, some weird rabbit holes and it's amazing
1: you really do and it was cool because I I found myself like I got into this Facebook group it's called Weezer shit posting which is like shout out it's so (laughs) great if you've ever like wanted to find a cool community on on the internet Weezer fans are where it's at because everybody's super weird and like it's just awesome so so it kind of happened that someone was like hey what would happen if you only listened to Pinkerton like for a week Like, just see who can last the longest. And I was Was like... Was it
0: like you had to listen to it just, like, any time you wanted to listen to music? Yeah, any time you wanted to listen to
1: music recreationally, you had to listen to that. And if there was music, like, in a grocery store, or, like, obviously I'm a music teacher, so I'm surrounded by music all the time, like, I'm not really in control of that. And I'm not going to, like, have seven-year-olds listening to tired of sex by Weezer. Like, yeah. that's not gonna happen. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, so I did that, and I was like, you know, I kind of want to take this one step further and, like, see what would happen if I documented my experience. So I called it, um, Side Saddle Driving, so if you look on podcast.com, you can find it there, and there's only three episodes because I, I got, like, really sick of the album, oh, actually. Oh, I'm sure. So did I had you just to...
0: stop listening to music recreationally after? Um, no,
1: of? I didn't. I just listened to, like, a fuck ton of prints, and I had to, like, nice. cleanse my yeah. palate I was gonna way. say, you gotta, Go yeah. the opposite direction. Yes, exactly. So um, so that was kind of funny. But um, but yeah, it was a cool project, and I have some loose ends that I want to tie up with that. So stay tuned for some updates awesome. on that. And then I have another podcast um, with a dear friend of mine, Emily Myers, who is a magical shout soul. Shout out to Emily. Yeah, shout out to Emily. She's the light of my life. Um, so we have this podcast. It's like a virtual book club kind of thing, and it's called The Bramble and Myers Radio Hour. So you can also find that on podcast.com. And on Facebook at the Brambles, Bramble and Myers. That's our page name.
0: Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is great. Thanks for having me. Yay. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yerge, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page, where you can be a subscriber, and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.